Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Lost Your Mind. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, and we're not going to read, well, we may read most of this. Genesis chapter 6, and we'll start with verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. So this happened really early. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. So it has to get pretty bad when God says, I'm going to wipe it all out. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch." And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. And you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die." But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come in to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Okay, so... I mean, you got to think, has he lost his mind? Has God lost his mind? You know, wipe the world out for one thing. And is Noah about to lose his mind by listening to this and even attempting to obey? Enough water to float a boat this size. It could carry two animals of every kind. His family would be easy, the eight of them. And it would take, if you do the calculations, about 100, 120 years to build this boat. So you say, well, you'd have to be nuts. 
You'd have to be nuts unless you walked with God as it describes Noah and you were willing to obey. So what we're going to talk about today, use Noah as part of the example and then some other people and some other things. What is it that God has told you to do that may be a little nuts? Everybody who knows you may think you've lost your mind and you're actually going to do it. Because the scripture talks about losing your life and that's how you find it. And we tend to hold on to our lives because we think we're going to lose it. If you lose your life for his sake, you found it. But if you hold on to your life and lose it, what good does that do you? Now look at the next verse here, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. It's that simple. Are you doing what God commanded you to do, all that he commanded you to do? Are you doing that? That's how you live. Go to the next one. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Noah's a guy that walks with God. What about people who don't walk with God and God comes along and gives them instruction? Is it possible for them to obey? Sometimes it's hard, but sometimes it gets their attention. Let me insert this before we read this story. A lot of times, God will ask you to do something completely foolish to get your attention. It may be completely backwards from what everybody else thinks is logical. You may think it's foolish. You may think, I'm going to look like a fool if I do this. You have to stop worrying about what you look like and worry about what God's going to look like if you disobey and claim to follow him. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. So who is this we're talking about? Commander of the army of the king of Syria. This is a powerful man. Was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Okay, so this is not a good situation. He goes out on a raid and then finds this girl, takes her captive, brings her back to the house, and basically she's forced to work for Naaman's wife. Look at verse 3. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. In other words, let's see if we can barter, kind of buy our way and get some healing for Naaman. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised. When this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Now, who's got game to do that? Only God. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider... And see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, which is a pretty dramatic symbol of grief and being overwhelmed, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, so Elisha doesn't even go out to talk to this Syrian general. And these are the instructions. Now listen closely to the instructions. 
Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Simple instructions. Why is it so hard to follow instructions? The old man that discipled me, Claude, I talk about him all the time, I know. But he told me one day, he said, Richard, my life changed when I began to read the Bible with the intent of doing what it said. Not just reading it to see what it says, but you say, well, I read my Bible today, I had a quiet time, I prayed, all these things. Say, you read something. And did it tell you to do something, to change something, to modify your life in any way? Did you get any instruction out of the instructions? If you did, you would apply what you read and do something about that. That's when life changes. So Elisha has told him, it's just a few words, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman, look at these next verse. There's always a but and usually people are sitting on it not doing what they're supposed to be. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will sure. So this is what his expectation was. Be careful what you expect from God or God's people. Because he had already set this thing up. I'm going to go to this prophet, and here's what I think is going to go down. I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Like he's going to be a TV evangelist over me. He's going to come out here and make a scene and do something miraculous. He did something miraculous. He told him what to go do. Are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Like, I don't need to have some Jordan River. I could have done this back home. Why that river? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Something impressive, something not so foolish as dip seven times in the Jordan. If he had told you to do something else, would you not have done that? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down. So finally, Naaman goes, okay, I'll do it. So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan. And by the way, you got to think about these things when you read them. So here's this general, goes down to the river, and however, if he's going down like this or squatting down, you know, it's one thing, okay, I'll do it one time. Seven times? I mean, oh, what is this about? I'm dipping seven times in this river. I mean, how silly can you get? Forget silly, just obey. Here's how you know how bad you want something to change in your life. You'll do almost anything, even if it looks like you lost your mind. So he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean, just like that. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant 
When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, he leans on my hand, and I bow down to the temple of Ramon. When I bow down to the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. In other words, something so amazing happened here. I want two mule loads of dirt to spread in the temple where I got to go with my king so that I'm standing on Israeli dirt, not Syrian dirt, when I worship. That's the impact it had on him. Go to Matthew chapter 28, New Testament. Matthew 28, and let's look down in verse 19. Some of you know this by heart, and it's pretty simple. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, and then the first thing, make followers, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now this is very simple, and I've said this multiple times. If you go read the scriptures, everywhere that someone makes a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, they follow him, they trust him, believe that he died on the cross, buried, raised from the dead. When you do that, the first thing he asks you to do is be baptized. And it is amazing to me how many people lock up on this and five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years go by and they refuse to do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let me talk to you specifically in this room and beyond. You say, well, I just don't think I'm ready to do that yet. If you are a Christian, you are ready to do that. And you say, well, but I don't think I'm in the right place to do that. Then get in the right place and do it. Obey. Now, here's where it gets dangerous. You say, well, no, I'm going to wait. The danger with that is you are dealing with something simple. The first thing that he asks any believer to do is be baptized. And if you back off of that and you basically say no to that, now you're living as a Christian in rebellion to Christ. You say, well, I don't feel that way. Then obey. And you'd be amazed at how once that domino drops, a ton of other things start to happen. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1. I'm about to read you some of the best advice out of the whole Bible, out of Jesus' mother's mouth. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now why is she going to tell Jesus that he's been invited to a party and tell him that they have no wine? It's not his problem. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Like, why are you telling me that? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to these servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So whatever Jesus says to you, do it. You say, well, I'm going to pray about it. Let me tell you something about praying. You don't need to do quite as much praying as you think you do. Sometimes praying is stalling. If things are working out right, you're doing a lot of praying, and the praying leads to whatever he says, you do it. You don't have to pray about whether you're going to do it because you've already prayed and said you'll do whatever he says he wants you to do so you're ready when he speaks. First time obedience. Well, Lord, I hear you talking, but I'm going to go back and pray about that and see if that's really what you want me to do. Well, did I stutter? I mean, it's not Moses here. It's God. You know, do it. Let's try this. Do your praying. And the next time you read or hear, you know in your heart, God just gave me instructions. Just do it. 
You say, but if I go do whatever he's telling me to do, somebody's going to think I've lost my mind. You've lost your mind already. You won't mind him no matter what he tells you to do. And not minding is what? Disobedience. And if you're a parent, this stuff makes you crazy as a parent. Don't make God crazy. Just do it. And how much smoother do things run in a house when you say to your kids, hey, do this, and bam, they go do it. Like, oh my God, we're shocked. God should not be shocked because we should be obedient children. You think, well, I think God's counting. I have never heard God say, I'm going to count to three and you need to do what I'm telling you to do. I've made him count to a million before, I guess, but he doesn't operate that way. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now think about this. Why did she say whatever he says to you, do it? The problem is not that we're missing water at the party, dude. We need wine. How are you going to solve the wine problem with water? Just do it. You say, well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Fill the water pots with water. Do what you're told. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, like I know I ran out of wine, because the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good stuff, the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. So you put the good wine out first. And when they've had a lot to drink, you put the cheap stuff out because they don't know the difference. It's right here in the Bible. <laughs> I know this makes some conservative people very nervous, but it's in the Bible. And it's the first miracle. You have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed in him. Part of the reason we wouldn't fill the pots up is we're worried how we're going to look and whether he could really pull it off. It's not my problem. I cannot change water to wine. So, okay, whatever you want to do here, I'll fill them up whatever you, halfway, whatever you want to do. But dude, we can't make this water wine. But if you can, we'll hide and watch. So whatever he's telling you to do, you say, well, what if he doesn't come through? What if it doesn't work out? What if I look foolish? What if everybody says, dude, you lost your mind? What are you getting baptized for? What are you doing this stuff? You've got to stop worrying about what the world thinks and think a little bit about what he thinks and understand that your obedience can trigger his promises no matter how foolish you look. Have you ever stopped to think how foolish he looks when we claim to be his children and we disobey? We say, our father, he's God, we trust him, he saved us, and then he tells us to do something. People go, dude, I kind of thought this is what God, it says in the book here you're supposed to do this. Well, and I'm praying about that. I'm praying about doing that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and just for the sake of time, let's jump in here to verse 12. Now I say this, that each of you says... I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Like they're trying to say what lineage they come from, who they followed. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. In other words, I haven't baptized but a handful of people I think that's everybody. 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, in other words, that's not the point of the whole thing, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you go out there and you say to somebody, look, this may sound nuts to you, but this is what changed my life. Someone explained to me that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, raised from the dead, shed his blood to pay for my sin. I believe that and trusted him in my life has never been the same since. You're an idiot. That's the craziest thing you could possibly ever say. How is some guy dying on some cross in his blood and all this mess? You're nuts. And the reason why we don't share that story more is we're worried how we're going to look. But if you start thinking more about where that person's going to end up, you might tell the story. Because that crazy story that literally the Bible describes the gospel as foolishness, that foolishness is the very thing when they hear go, wow, that's it. I've been looking for that my whole life. You say, well, I didn't know what you were talking about. You know now what I'm talking about. Something as simple as being a witness, making disciples, just telling your story. Well, they'll think I've lost my mind. If you're not telling them you have lost your mind, you won't obey when he prompts you. Keep reading. Not the wisdom of words, lest cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now that doesn't mean you don't share your faith with these people that are wise according to the flesh, or mighty, or noble. But don't get stuck on them. I don't want to say this too harshly. Keep moving. You say, well, I keep sharing the faith with this guy and he doesn't get it. Plant the seed. The world is crawling with people who are desperate for Christ. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. 
or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. You don't want to lose your mind. You don't want to stop obeying. And you say, well, I haven't even started. Then start with the simple stuff. You're a Christian. You know for a fact you drop dead, you'd go to heaven. And you've never been baptized after that. Get baptized. It's that simple. And again, you say, well, I want to pray about it. I get what you're saying. You're probably just praying about why you're not willing to obey. Let's get through that to where you get to the place where it's first time obedience, where when he speaks, you say, yes, sir. He says, put that down. You put it down. He says, pick it up. You pick it up. He says, whatever he says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You've only got one life to live. I got one shot at this. And the more time I spend disobeying, the more of my life, this brief vapor of a life that I have just disappears. Because when you disobey until you confess that and obey, you're burning up, you're just burning up saying it's just gone. You say, but I'm doing good stuff in the meantime. It's not about doing good stuff. It's about bringing honor and glory to him. And the way to do that is to obey and trust him and follow him and walk with him and do what he says. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talk sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.